0: Praise God. Amen. Let's get right into the message for today. Heart check number four. So making sure that we all have healthy hearts. In Proverbs chapter four has been our key text for this. In verse 23, we're told to keep a guard, to keep our heart or to guard your heart with all diligence. So to keep your heart or to guard your heart with all diligence. And the reason being for out of your heart flow the very issues of life. Those life flows from your heart. Life flows from within you, not to you. And when we get that straightened out in our minds, it helps us put so many things in proper perspective rather than being confused and, 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 and being having that victim mentality that everything that's going wrong in my life, all the difficulties I'm having, they're not really my fault. There's things that other people are doing to me out of my control. Well, that's not really... The truth, the truth is, is that life is to flow from you because there's too many examples of people that have been in the same predicament as other people, and some came out of it, and others didn't, and so it has a lot to do with, uh, with, with the with our attitude, how we approach things, and how we're looking at things, and and who we are trusting in. We want to learn to put our complete trust in God, to be giving our full attention to the Word of God, keeping the Word of God in our heart, life, and health spring forth from that, and then set that guard over your heart. Monitor what you're looking at, what you're listening to, what you're participating in, what are the words coming out of your mouth, what are the attitudes that you're possessing and and going into the day with and making sure that you're thinking, life is flowing from me, from my innermost being, the very life of God in me is governing my life and, and my day is not going to be controlled by what other people are saying or doing or not doing because life is not happening to me, it's flowing from me. Guarding our hearts. Amen. Amen. Are you ready to continue with it? We have heart check number four this morning. Continue to set a check on our heart. We talked about making sure that we, that we always have peace in our heart. We looked at John, in the Gospel of John, how we noticed that from the Amplified Bible, we are, we are not to allow ourselves to be disturbed, not to allow ourselves to be disturbed or to be irritated but we are to have the peace of God ruling and reigning over our hearts and over our minds. That should be the predominant thing that is taking place. In, Proverbs, excuse me, in John 14, 27, the first I was looking for, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. In the Amplified Bible, it's saying, stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. So if you're feeling agitated and disturbed by life, by things that are going on, uh, stop it. Say, well, how can I stop being agitated and disturbed by things people are doing or things people are saying? Stop paying attention to what they're saying and don't worry about what they're doing. They belong to God. They don't belong to you. They're God's sheep. They're not your sheep. They're not my sheep. They're God's sheep. Amen. Amen. So stop allowing yourself to be agitated and disturbed. And the peace of God should be the predominant. Thing that is flowing from your heart at all time, that inner tranquility and the, the poise of the one who has his trust in God, that calm inner stability, even in the middle of chaotic circumstances and situations, the peace of God is to rule and to reign. I remember the first time I was in Colorado some years, years ago and the, the kids were much smaller and you know, they were very small at the time, probably five and four or something like that and decided to go for a spontaneous hike and we're hiking I see this sign, in the event you encounter a mountain lion, <laughs> remain calm. I'm thinking, okay, I'm here with my wife and my two children, a very small, I have no, I have no weapon packed away, I have no knife. But if I encounter a mountain lion, I'm supposed to remain calm. (laughs) It's like, yeah, right. (laughs) How about run? (laughs) But, you know, I I, I guess that is wisdom. Just remain calm and be cool, calm, and collected. But I thought, boy, that would be a real test of that calm, that inner tranquility, encountering a mountain lion. So, we can do it. Today, I want to invite you to open your Bibles or follow along from Matthew chapter 18, whatever device you may be using. But uh, in Matthew 18... We have a parable that Jesus gave, one of the many parables. And, of course, you always told these stories, parables or stories, the same thing, as teaching, as a, as a lesson. And so we're going to look at the parable today of the unforgiving servant. Everyone say, unforgiving servant. Unforgiving servant. Say, oh, boy, here we go, heart check, forgiveness. <laughs> here we go. If this doesn't pertain to you, you can just leave, grab a cup of coffee on your way out and... The rest of us will stay here and have a heart check and get ourselves right with God. And don't let the door hit you in the way out. <laughs> so, parable of the unforgiving servant. Begin reading at verse 21, Matthew 18. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I... Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten times. 1000 talents but as he was not able to pay his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children that and all that he had and that payment be made the servant therefore fell down before him saying master have patience with me i will pay you all then the master of the servant was moved with compassion released him and forgave him the debt But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, "'Pay me what you owe.' So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, "'Have patience with me, and I will pay you all.' And he would not, but went out and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt." Verse 35, so my heavenly father also will do to each of you, will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Let's read the last part of that again. To each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So heart check. We're going to do a heart check this morning see where are we at in the the realm of are we walking in forgiveness toward all people. And in this parable of the unforgiving servant, you know, receiving forgiveness and, 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 and forgiving others. As we have been forgiven, Colossians teaches us that. Uh, many other scriptures teach us that as well. But one of my favorites is Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. How it says, as we, we are to forgive others even as Christ has forgiven us. Well, how has Christ forgiven us? Well, he has forgiven us freely. He took on our sin. He took on all, all of our trespasses. And while we were yet sinners, he, he forgave us. And that's our role model. That's how we are to forgive others. So in this particular story, Jesus is illustrating the requirement of forgiveness and the consequences when we choose not to forgive. I find it interesting how Peter begins, uh, it begins the story here with Peter posing the question, how often, how often, have, have any of you other than myself ever just said, Lord, how, how long do I have to put up with this? How long do I need to put up with this and do I just cut ties here and just you know just cut the losses and and whatever just you know how am i how am i how am i going to do this how often do i have to do this do i really need to do this seven times i thought seven shoot that's nothing i can rack up seven offenses towards someone before seven o'clock in the morning (laughs) and you all can do the same thing but Peter, in his mind, he thought he was doing it. He, he thought that uh, he was going big. And he said, Must I really forgive someone seven times? Uh, some of the interpret, interpretations of this particular parable. Now, parables do have different ways you can look at them. They're stories, they're illustrations. So there's, there's multiple applications of parables. But one of the applications is that uh, in, in the book of Amos, when you read the, the, the book of Amos in chapter 1, there's uh, there's five different verses in, in chapter one itself. And in chapter two, there's three different verses where it goes something like this. Can you put that up there? Says, Put Amos. There we go. For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. For three, I'm going to let you slide. For four, I'm going to bring the hammer down. It sounds like back during the Reagan era, I think it was the... Uh, I'm forgetting Reagan's wife's name. Nancy. <laughs> Nancy. <laughs> I told you I could rock up seven before seven. <laughs> I think I'm already at 481. <laughs> but you had that, you know, the three strikes and you're out. You know, three strikes and you're out. Well, you know, it sounded good. After three offenses, you're done. We're going to lock you up. We're going to throw away the key, that type of thing. But... Uh and the book of Amos, in verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, it keeps repeating there the different people groups and up to three. But then for the fourth one, the punishment's going to come on you. So the, 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 the thinking here is that the ancient teachers concluded that if God himself comes down heavy on the fourth violation, then we have no obligation to be forgiven beyond the third offense. And some of the rabbis, his belief is that some of the rabbis taught that, and they, they stemmed it from there. And so Peter's thinking, okay, uh, we're supposed to forgive three times, but since I'm asking Jesus the question, I'm going to up the ante and say, must I really forgive seven times? So in Peter's mind, he's thinking I'm doing really, really well. I'm being really spiritual. I'm really going to impress Jesus. I'm going to say, must I really forgive someone seven times? He's probably expecting uh, uh, Jesus to say, Peter, that's commendable. Really, you only need to do it three times because the fourth time, I'm just going to smack him. But uh, Jesus didn't respond at all like Peter was anticipating in his mind. It didn't, the, the answer didn't come back anything like he had anticipated. But, uh, you know, he, he thought he was being very generous. But Jesus responded with a very st- a stunning uh, response here. And he said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In some of the other gospels we can read this, it's really 70 times seven in one day. In a day. This is not over a lifetime. This is in a day. So is that possible? Yeah, it's very possible. It's very possible. I'm sure I had people offend me 70 times seven in, in one day. <laughs> but so Jesus is declaring this, but at the same time, what he's really saying, we could we could translate this today by responding, Peter, stop keeping score. Stop counting. Even to 70 times 7, it's not not a recommendation to say, okay, I'm going to set up a scorecard. I'm going to tally each offense, and when you hit 490, now I have freedom. Now I have the biblical freedom here uh, to justify retaliation. That's not what Jesus is teaching at all. So tear up your scorecards. Just take a moment right now. Are you ready? Here we go. Just rip it up in your mind, in your heart. Just rip it up. Well, Pastor Ray, I'm so close to 490. Do I really need to tear it up? Absolutely. The closer you are to 490, the more you need to be tearing it up. But just tear it up. Don't be keeping scorecards. And I just ripped something up. I hope I don't need it, but nonetheless. (laughs) Just tear it up and stop keeping score. Jesus is calling us to a way of life, and this way of life is a way of forgiveness. Our hearts should always be free of offense. Our hearts should always be free of offense. Just hold your place here for a moment. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. There's a beautiful prayer here that's prayed for the church, for the people of Philippi. And this is a great prayer to pray over yourself, over your marriage, over your family, over your spheres of influence. It's only three verses 9 through 11. In this I pray, Philippians 1, verse 9, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Of God, but it's a very short prayer, a very powerful prayer that our love would continue to grow, to mature, to abound more and more in knowledge, in discernment. We are able to approve the things that are excellent. We can be sincere; there's no pretense about us, and we are free of offense until the day of Jesus Christ, completely free. So, in doing a heart check, are we free of offense? Jesus is calling us to a life that is free of offense. And then verse 23, back to Matthew 18, back to the parable. Jesus begins in verse 23. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Here Jesus... Uh, declares, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like, what he's doing here is he's invoking this principle of forgiveness to everyone who proclaims to be a born-again child of God, a, 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 and you are part of the family of God. You have been born again into the kingdom of God. This is this is a lifestyle that we are called to live, free of offense. Then verse 23 through 25 It says that, uh, uh, begin reading here at verse 24. It says, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one brought to him, who owed him 10,000 talents. He was not able to pay. Not able to pay, his his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children all that he had and that payment be made. Here, the master's initial decision to sell the man and his family into slavery and to liquidate his assets is not intended to be a picture of God's style in handling your or my indebtedness. God has forgiven us freely through Jesus Christ. So that's not what Jesus is painting. Jesus is not saying this about the Father and your relationship today. But Jesus is using the custom of his day to illustrate how binding and how destructive the binding and the destructive potential of human helplessness outside of God's mercy and outside of God's grace. He's just really showing a picture of how, how binding and destructive it really is when we get into this unforgiveness and we, have it, we, we keep storing it up in our hearts. There's just a certain offenses we are refusing to let go of. But in verse 26 and 27... The grace of God begins to flow. The servant fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him. Three key words here in this verse. Moved with compassion. So the word compassion. Released him. Released and forgave. Compassion. Released and forgave. That should be true about my heart and your heart as well. Notice it doesn't say compassion. It says he was moved with compassion. Oh, I have such compassion. Oh, I have such compassion. But are you moved by the compassion? The measure of your such compassion is demonstrated by are you moved with it? Oh, I have such compassion for the poor, the hungry. When's the last time you supported the poor and the hungry? Oh, I have such compassion for those that need winter coats. When's the last time you gave a winter coat? Oh, I have such compassion for this, these young girls that are being sold in, as sex slaves and, and, and trafficking. I have such compassion. It just breaks my heart. <laughs> Rightfully so. All of them, very valid needs, very things that, you know, can pull at our heartstrings. But what have we done? Have we been moved by it? That's really not my message, but I'll just throw that out there. So the next time you say, oh, I have such compassion. Well, good. Let it move you. Let it move you. And then release. Release and forgave. Forgive. And so that's the example that's set before us. We need to be moved with compassion. We need to release offenses, and we need to forgive the offender. Then verse 28 and 30, we go back to a very stark contrast to compassion, release, and forgiveness. We have a very stark contrast in verse uh, beginning at... Verse 28 says, but the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. Pay me what you owe. So the fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me. I will pay you all. And he would not. Everyone say he would not. He would not. And he went and threw him into prison till he should pay all. So he's really showing himself small. He's forgiven millions, but he refused to give his fellow servant hundreds. He's ignorant and he's without compassion. And he places his fellow servant into prison. He places him into prison. It's a place where the prisoner has absolutely no ability to bring reconciliation to the situation. Just completely locked him up. Just completely froze the relationship. And here Jesus is illustrating how unforgiveness in our heart, when we refuse to forgive from our heart, it freezes the relational possibilities between those we refuse to forgive. It absolutely locks it up. Nothing can be done. Nothing can change. When we cast into prison, any conflict between ourselves and another person or persons, we just shut down. We build walls and say, I'm done. I am done. I'm not forgiving. I'm not talking. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you. Nothing can change. And we think that we are punishing the person that offended us. It's like drinking poison and expecting the offender to die from it. The offender's not going to die from you drinking the poison, it's going to ruin your life. You're the one that's going to die. We need to come to a place where we forgive, even as Christ has forgiven us. I'm not minimizing any of the offenses in your life that you have experienced, nor am I justifying the person that has done it, nor making light of the pain in your heart and the difficulty, the challenge it may be to release it and to trust God to make it right. But God is for you. He is for us, and he wants to make it right. And he's the one we need to be looking to and to trust him to bring reconciliation. And we come to a place of choosing to forgive our offenders and come to a place where we pray for those who persecute us, freedom will begin to flow. Jesus concludes the parable beginning at verse 31. It says, when the fellow servants saw what had been done, uh, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion? And we could read that, the same words as we have in verse 26. Compassion, release, and forgive. That should you not also have had compassion, and released and forgiven the servant, just as I had pity on you and forgave you? The answer is, yes, I should have. I have been forgiven a debt I could not pay and have no business holding on to something that someone else has done to me. His master, in verse 34 was angry, and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. All that was due him. Now, I mentioned just a few moments ago that when you refuse to forgive, you're casting the offender into prison, and you're expecting the the one that has been cast into prison who has... No ability to make reconciliation. He can't pay back because he's been stripped of his earning power. He can't reconcile it. You, 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 you just made it, you made it, you, you created an impossible situation. It can't happen. But now here he says, Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you and the master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due him? So Jesus is concluding this parable with two heart-checked lessons for you and I to learn. The first one, verse 25, the master is not reverting to his original judgment. Excuse me, not verse 25, but here in verse 34. The ma- in verse 34, the master is not reverting to his original judgment of or verse 25. If you look back at 25 now, that's where he was... Uh, you know, to be sold along with the family and, 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 and all his assets to be liquidated, and that payment should be made. Jesus is not reverting. He does not say that being unforgiven reverses our salvation. He's not saying that being unforgiven turns us onto a course leading to eternal damnation or judgment. He's not saying you're losing your salvation. What he does say is very powerful as it relates to your wholeness as a born again child of God to your wholeness in your spirit, in your soul, in your body, to be at peace. One of the Old Testament interpretations of the word shalom is, is, is to be whole, nothing broken, nothing missing. Absence of war, you know, there's peace. And so Jesus is very interested in your, in your wellness, in your wholeness, in your spirit. Are you doing well? In your soul, is it well with you? In your soul. In your body, is it well with you? In life, are things going well with you? And then, so that's what Jesus is referring to and and, and admonishing us in. In verse 34, it says, His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers, and he should pay all that was due him. It sounds like reverting back to Verse twenty-five, but the the word tortures here can, another uh, it can literally could literally be translated as a bill collector and a bill collector that's coming at you or the IRS coming after you and they are systematically exacting payment from you. Here the tortures were used to systematically exact payment from the unforgiving servant. In the same way, the spirit of unforgiveness, as I refuse to forgive from my heart, the spirit of unforgiveness will take a sure and torturous toll on my life and on your life, on my spirit, my soul, and my body. Yeah, I'm a Christian, yes, I go to church, yes, I worship God, but life is a struggle. It's, relationships are difficult. It just seems I can't get along with anyone. Every time I turn around, something's broken down. Money just flies out faster than it comes in. Every time I turn around, someone in the family is sick. My money is going to medical Doctors, my money's going to my car payments and car repairs, and my cars. My money's going to things breaking down. The refrigerator broke down, the dishwasher stopped the same night, and the washer and dryer didn't work the next morning. Just, just a, a torturous, systematic, exacting payment from us. Now, I'm not saying every time something breaks it means you have unforgiveness in your life. Some of the things in this natural world are going to break. I'm not suggesting that at all, but some things are, sometimes we have undue circumstances in a sense that, okay, it should not have broken down. This should not have happened. And just, you know, what's going on? Why, why is life so difficult? Why does this seem like I'm, a, I'm an open target and the enemy is just coming after me? And he, 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 I mean, he's living in my head rent free. He owns me. It ought not to be that way. He does not own us. The enemy does not own us. He does not live in our head rent-free. We are children of the Most High God, and God's favor is for us. God's favor is for us. So the torturers, bill collectors exacting from you, payment, and, you, you know, you didn't even realize, but all of a sudden you look at your account, and it's drained. You may not realize that things aren't going well until all of a sudden you find yourself just emotionally drained. Your soul, you just, you're not happy, and, and your body is just like responding the way you want it to respond. Just, just, just. Y'all know what I'm talking about to some degree or another at different seasons of life? Just, you know, you're not clicking on all cylinders. Life is not, you know, you, what you're reading, the promises of God and, and reality, are, 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 they're not in alignment. I mean, when I read the promises of God and the life that Jesus has come to give us and to provide for us and the Holy Spirit empowerment and provision and leading and guiding and protection, I'm not experiencing it. I read it, I hear it being preached, but, boy, it's not happening. Heart check. Heart check. Is life flowing from me or am I allowing it to happen to me? Am I forgiving From my heart. Am I moved with compassion? Am I releasing the situation? And then am I forgiving the offender? That's where we want to grow to. We want to grow to a place where I'm being moved with compassion. I'm forgiving. I'm releasing the offense. And I'm forgiving the offender. Many medical doctors psychologists and psychiatrists are in agreement. I mean, you can always find some that will disagree, but it's pretty common knowledge and accepted among many practices of many different professionals that they have noted that a vast majority of human ills are related to repressed attitudes of anger, resentment, unforgiveness, self-pity, they will agree that many times a lot of things that go on in people's lives have a root in unhealthy relationships with God, relationship with God, unhealthy relationships with other people, and it takes a toll on spirit, soul, and body. It's extracting life. It's extracting the, the things that God wants to do. It's like an infection. It's constantly eating away rather than the blessings of God. It's, things are constantly being, just, things are evaporating. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know why this happened. Don't know why that happened. Well, there's a systematic strategy against you from the enemy. Jesus made it very clear that the enemy has come to steal from you, to kill and to destroy. He also made it very clear that he has come to bring you life and to bring you life to the full, the abundant life. So when Jesus talks about a heart check, let's pay attention to what he's saying. Again, not diminishing your pain. There are some very egregious things happen to some people. Some of you sitting in here this morning, you had some stuff happen to you over the course of life that is just, it's it's not right. It should not have happened. But it did. Now you're left with a choice. What is your choice? If you've been choosing to hold on to it, it's eating away at you. More than it's eating away at the offender. So, when I want to challenge you to put your trust in Jesus, say, Well, Pastor, I can't set the person free. Trust me. God will take care of things that need to be taken care of. Trust God. Trust God. My responsibility, your responsibility, be moved with compassion, release the person, and forgive. So, Repressed attitudes of anger, resentment, unforgiveness. So they all converge in the picture of unforgiveness that Jesus paints here in this parable, in this story. And the price is taught. And that is that unforgiveness in your heart, unforgiveness in your heart will take a tremendous toll on your life, on your body, and on your relationships as long as you make a decision to hold on to it rather than let it go. Let it go. The second lesson in this particular story that Jesus shares, I find it very interesting. I've read this over the years. I've read this. It's just kind of it's sort of like an abrupt stop. It's like a movie that didn't really conclude, end the way you expected it to end. A book that didn't end the way you ended it. Kind of open ended. It's like that's kind of weird. Like what you know? What happened to this other guy? What happened to this other people group? But the story ends with a, the with a second servant. Remember the first servant? He begged his master to forgive him. His master was moved with compassion and forgave him a very large debt. Then he went out and found one of his servants and demanded that he make payment in full. And he also begged, but he would not forgive him, but threw him into prison. Well, the story ends with that second guy still in prison. I'm thinking, what, what kind of redemption is this? Why wouldn't Jesus give a parable that have a redemptive end to it? It ends with the guy still in prison. There's still tension. There's still unforgiveness between the forgiven servant who refused to forgive his fellow servant. Why would he leave it like that? I believe Jesus left it like that because the situation between the forgiven servant and the the servant that he refused to forgive... Had nothing to do with the master, it was between the two of them. The first illustration was between the master and the servant, and the master forgave him, was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him. Then he turned around and he refused. So the first illustration is the master, our heavenly father, has already forgiven us. We are forgiven, you are forgiven. Turn to your neighbor and say, God forgave, God forgave you. Now, we need to forgive other people. We don't want to be like that forgiven servant that then turns around. He, he was forgiven literally today's economics. He, he had been forgiven a debt of probably millions of dollars, and then he refused to forgive someone that owed him several hundred dollars. I mean, it seems ridiculous. But many times the things we refuse, the things we get stuck in, in hindsight, they are ridiculous. We just need someone to point it out to us and be honest about it and allow ourselves to just do a heart check and say, you know what, this is really stupid. And I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I'm not going to allow the person that offended me to to govern my life. Life is not happening to me. It's flowing from within me. And I'm making a choice that life is going to flow. The abundant life is going to flow from the life of God within me. Out of my innermost being are going to flow rivers of living water. I'm not going to let stupid stop that. So he leaves the story at this point. And he does so for a reason, and the reason is for you and I to apply it to our lives. We need to apply this lesson to our lives, and the lesson is this, or the question is this, where am I placing my fellow servants, my brothers and sisters in the Lord that owe me, that offended me, that owe me? That did me dirty, did me wrong, where have I placed them? Have I been moved with compassion toward them? Have I released the situation and have I forgiven them as I have been forgiven? Or am I demanding and insisting payment in full until that time? And until that time, they are not forgiven. I am demanding. That they come to me and they tell me that they're sorry. I'm demanding and I won't forgive them until they admit they wronged me. I'm not going to forgive until they pay me in full. I'm not going to forgive until, and you fill in the blanks. It can't be reconciled like that. That's like putting the person in debtor's prison where the person has no ability To make amends, even if they wanted to, because things are frozen, things are locked up in unforgiveness. Verse 35 My Heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Your Heavenly Father is not going to revert back to not forgiving you, He already has forgiven you. But your Heavenly Father, God in heaven, has told us to forgive others even as we have been forgiven. The Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we do what? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God has already forgiven us. What are we doing with those who offend us? From our heart, from our heart, let's forgive others their trespasses. What God is saying is that when I choose to hold on to unforgiveness rather than be moved with compassion in his forgiveness toward me, he's not revoking my forgiveness, but he's saying is that my unforgiveness toward my fellow servants is taking a toll on me. It's like a debtor's prison. It's like IRS collecting wages automatically out of your bank account. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. They're going to keep withdrawing. They're going to keep withdrawing. They're going to keep withdrawing. But you can shut the door. You can shut the door on all that exacting from your life. You don't have to allow the enemy to be exacting your strength, your joy, your peace, your soundness of mind your health. By his stripes you were healed. We do not need to go through life allowing all these external circumstances to be dictating our lives or to be drawing and taking energy and time away from us that we can't even focus on God. I I believe in God and I want to worship God, but I'm so distracted with all these other extractions that are taking place, all these demands on my life, and I can't even think straight. I can't even finish a sentence. I hadn't had a complete thought in months. Forgive from your heart. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's forgive. Be moved with compassion. Release the offense. Give it over to God. Give it over to God. He's the healer. He'll restore. He'll make new. And then let's forgive the offender. Let's forgive. Let's stand to our feet. I want to challenge you to do it from your heart. Heart check. From his heart. From our hearts. We forgive. We forgive. I can feel a bit guilty sharing things like this because I've had a good life. I mean, I had some people offend me, but in comparison to to the egregious things that happen to some people. I have nothing to complain about, but I've complained anyway. We all have different degrees. We can all sit around and have our war stories, but let's stop it. That's not life flowing from us. That is being, life being extracted from us, and it's, it's going in a downward spiral rather than an upward spiral. So let's turn our lives around today, and let's trust God that he has our back, that he is for us. And whatever level, degree of pain that has been inflicted upon you, I haven't experienced what many people have experienced, but I do have a trust and a confidence in my God that he is able to heal and to restore and to make new so by choosing to be moved with compassion, by choosing to release and choosing to forgive the offender, you're saying, God, I'm yours. Your peace is flowing in my heart. Your joy is manifested. Life is no more being sapped from me. People are not stealing from me. I am a whole person. I am well in my spirit. I am well in my soul. I am healed in my body in Jesus' name. Are you ready? Let's do it. Say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I trust you that your word will never fail. Your love for me, your compassion toward me, you will never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You are my shield. You are my comforter. You are the restorer and the healer of my soul. This day, I choose to accept. The challenge of the word. word. And I choose today today to be moved with compassion. compassion. I choose to release release the offense offense. right now. now. Just pause for a moment and you think about it and you release it over to God. I'm just going to pause for a second here. Release it over to God. Just release it. Any thought that comes to you, just release it. Release it. The devil will keep bringing things back to your mind. Remember this, remember that. But this person did that, this person said that. And your father said this, and your mother didn't do that. Or just release it, release it. Release that. And now forgive the person. Say, Father, I forgive the one or the ones who have offended me. I pray for them right now. I choose to pronounce your grace on them. You deal with them. I turn them over to you, Father. But from my heart, I am free. It will no longer extract from me. In Jesus' name, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Thank you, Lord. I set a guard over my heart, over my mind, And I will think on those things that are good, those things that are pure, those things that are praiseworthy. Amen. Amen. Now, Father, I pray for this church family right now that our love would continue to abound more and more that we have the ability to discern that which is good, and we have the ability, Lord God, to be uh, sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. We set that guard over our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. From your heart, you're forgiven. From your heart, you forgive others in Jesus' name. Don't be surprised if you're all going to be tested. (laughs) Satan comes immediately to steal the word. Smile. And say... I forgive you in Jesus' name. Love you, God bless you, and we'll see you soon.